0: math with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Joyful Courage Podcast, a place for inspiration and transformation as we work to keep it together while parenting our tweens and teens. This is real work. And when we can focus on our own growth and nurturing the connection with our kids, we can move through the turbulence in a way that allows for relationships to remain intact and life skills to be developed. My name is Casey O'Rourty. I am your fearless host, positive discipline trainer, space holder, coach, and the adolescent lead at Sproutable. Also mama to a 20-year-old daughter and a 17-year-old son, walking right beside you on this path of raising our kids with positive discipline and conscious parenting. You are in for a treat. This episode is part of a 10-part series where I'm reading from my book, Joyful Courage, Calming the Drama and Taking Control of Your Parenting Journey that was published in 2019. I'm sharing the book with you and reflecting on where it holds up and how the work has been expanded in the four plus years after writing it. If you're finding the series in the middle, I encourage you to start at the first episode, Joyful Courage Book Club, the intro, so that you can follow along from start to finish. The series is meant to be a resource to you, and I work hard with everything I put out in the world to keep it real, transparent, and authentic so that you feel seen and supported. Along with this series is a free companion guide designed to prompt you in reflecting on what you're hearing and taking steps to integrate it into your life you can find the guide and buy your own copy of the book by going to www.besproudable.com jcbook. And please don't forget, sharing really is caring. If you love today's show, please pass the link around, snap a screenshot and post it on your socials or text it to your friends. Together we can make an even bigger impact on families around the globe. Enjoy. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. It's Thursday. Thursday, another Joyful Courage book club series episode. We're going to talk about chapter three today. But before I get into that, I want to know, how's it going? What are you taking away? What are you putting into practice? What are you noticing? As you learn about the emotional freight train, or maybe you're relearning, right? Maybe you got my book and read it back in the day, and now you're listening to this series, and you're like, oh, right. I get to pay attention to the experience that I'm having. So where are you at with that? How's that going? Are you noticing physical sensations that are giving you that indication that you're about to flip, that you're about to get on the train? I notice while I'm reading this, you know, the last chapter, I think it was that I talked about the physical experience. I talk a lot about my belly, but anymore, I really notice when I am triggered, when I'm having a hard time, which lately it's not as much with my kids as much as it is in my marriage, it's in my chest. Like I really feel it in my heart center. So, you know, it's good to revisit these concepts and take stock in where you're at. I encourage that. I encourage that. Yeah, and you know what? You can always let me know how this is landing. You can make a comment on the post. If you see it on Instagram or Facebook, you can shoot me an email at Casey at com. You can leave a review on Apple Podcast. There's lots of ways that you can be in touch about what you're noticing. And I love hearing from you. So be sure to do that if you're moved to. All right. Chapter three is called, Who is Causing Your Derailment? Who's causing your derailment? Is derailment the right word to use? I don't know. Who's pushing you on the train? (laughs) Maybe, Maybe that should be the subtitle. When we ride the emotional freight train, we typically don't ride it alone. We tend to bring along whoever is closest to us. That means our children or our partner. Our past hurt, pain, and trauma ride with us on the train as well, as does a deep need for control. And you know what? You guys, as I read that, that deep need for control what I'm really thinking about is safety. Right? Safety is so Slippery, right? It really gets us into mischief, our perception of safety, right? It can take on the illusion that we need control. But why do we need control? We need control to feel safe. That's what I mean when I say you're not the only one riding the train. We don't live in a vacuum, we are emotional beings having emotional experiences and raising other emotional beings who have limited life skills. Is it any wonder that things get dicey? There are so many entry points to get on the train. Choosing to parent with joyful courage requires that we learn to recognize when we are being swept up and away. That's the goal, right, as I read that. The goal is to recognize that the train is pulling in the station and a lot of times we miss it And so then the next goal becomes being aware enough and observant enough to recognize, oh, I'm on the train. How much more damage do I want to do? How can I pivot? That awareness and then the willingness to see the choice point. That's what we're talking about here, my friends. All right. If your partner comes home in a bad mood, complaining about something that happened in their day, they might be short with you. How does that feel? Right? How does that start to feel for you when they come home with their own stuff and then it kind of feels like it's spilling over into how they're treating you? Or your son won't stop complaining about his sister, the weather, how he never gets to pick the TV show when the family sits down to watch something together. How does that start to make you feel? Some of us are better at letting others' energy roll off of us, and others are super sensitive about it. I'm going to guess most of us fall somewhere in the middle. Again, this chapter in this podcast is about learning to become ever more aware of what's happening in our experience and perhaps discovering some places where we have been unconsciously allowing that outside energy to pull us onto the train. Our children also have emotional freight trains. Everybody does. For many of us, definitely for me. The emotional freight train experience really took root and began to happen after having kids. Even then, perhaps it took a few years for us to really understand how deeply their behavior could affect us. I mean, true that, right? I'm sure that people who choose not to have kids or don't have kids have plenty of things in their life that trigger us. But because you're reading this book, I'm assuming you're a parent. And if you're a parent, you know. I mean, oh my God, they get under our skin so quick. It's so, it can feel violent almost, right? The level of response that we have to these little people that we love, that we made. And yet they have a life of their own and an opinion and it matters. The fact of the matter is children increase your stress level. Never before has so much of our self-worth been connected to someone else. Even when they're babies, we feel a sense of pride when we can say, oh yeah, they sleep through the night or yeah, she took to breastfeeding right away. When we dread others asking about how our children slept, fed, or took to potty training, it was typically because we were emotionally invested in how our kids performed. It could be painful to share the truth. Maybe they were up all night. Maybe they weren't able to latch or struggled with potty training, right? And this isn't just an early years phenomenon. As I've mentioned while working on this book, my daughter was in her first year of high school. I've never been more confronted with my control and attachment issues than I was during that time. Well, so I thought. The train was always right there. It was like idling in the station with the doors open, waiting for that moment where I just couldn't take it anymore. Why does this happen? We know in our heads that all children are individuals, that they're moving at their own pace, that they're in development, and that they need to make mistakes and experience the world so that they can learn to navigate it. Yet we find that we tend to take their behavior on as our own personal failure. How dare they not get it right the first time? Don't they know how that makes us look? I remember literally saying that to my kiddo, Rowan, when she was going through her stuff. That's when I really pivoted towards working more and exploring teen years and parenting in the teen years because I needed it because I was like, what is happening? And I remember like half jokingly saying to her like, hey, I'm a parent coach. This doesn't look so good for me that you're off the rails and that you're trying the things and that we are in such a dire place in our relationship. You know, and what I found was, the more I was open and transparent with that, with my community, the more people were seeking me out because this is the experience. It's hard and it's messy. And there's no perfect way of parenting that avoids what's hard during the teen years. And you know, as I read this book, especially that word freak show, I really like to use that word. I have a client who likes the word dumpster fire, which I also appreciate that visual but i think it's so important to talk about how hard it is to navigate the mistakes our adolescents are making you know we want to pretend they're not making mistakes we want to keep it quiet we want to we want to protect their privacy which is important but in doing so our world gets really small and we isolate and we're not hearing from other people that they're in it too right so again That's what this book's all about. That's what this podcast is about. That's what my work is about, is bringing people together to have real conversations about the messy, about the shit show, right? Okay, back to the book. When we aren't paying attention, our children can jump on their own emotional freight train and pull us along for the ride. How fun is that? As I mentioned earlier on, fear is a big piece of what gets in the way. I think another part of it is the idea of permanence, the mistaken idea of permanence. Now that we're in whatever the current challenge is, we're here to stay forever, right? We're back in that always and never mindset. We think it's forever and we brace ourselves. We're in resistance. When we do that, we find ourselves in a fighter stance, either metaphorically or physically. When we're ready to fight, we assume there'll be a winner and a loser. And I sure as hell, I'm not going to be the loser. And it becomes a standoff on the crazy train, on the emotional freight train. Not everyone does this. I am in awe of parents who seem to have mastered the art of surrendering. They're the parents who allow their children to make mistakes. <laughs> I love the word allow in that sentence. This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. So as the weather warms up, we're outside gardening or doing yard work. There are so many opportunities for skin issues, right? And for me, it's always a mystery to know what's gonna irritate my skin, but I'm definitely out there They seem to really trust the process. They believe that all paths lead out of the forest. I look at them with envy, imagining that they have no fear for their children and that they've truly let go. Okay, I'm gonna pause here because do people really exist who are like that, who are so Zen that they can just be with it? I don't think so. I think there are some people that have more skills, more practice in just navigating the emotional turmoil. I think the emotional turmoil shows up and. Our experience of it is based on our skill set, how practiced we are, right? How willing we are. And that comes with time and a commitment to the practice. I love the sentence, they believe that all paths lead out of the forest. So again, living through the years that followed the publishing of this book with my daughter, things got dark, which you know, you listen to the podcast. If you haven't listened to the podcast and you really want to know how dark things get, <laughs> listen between episodes like two hundred and 200 and 300. 252 specifically, I have Rowan on and we talk about things. We talk about what she's been through. We're a little bit further from the peak crisis experience. Although, you know, when I say that, that wasn't one day, right? And I think that's important too, is when we talk about permanence, And I like to say, you know, things are temporary. It's not always gonna be the way that it is today. But it might be like this for a minute. It might be like this for months or even a couple of years, right? Teen years are hard, man. And it takes a while to move through it. I'm gonna blame the teen brain and the adult brain. I mean, it's a both and. But teen brain development happens over time. So they're in this vortex of adolescence it's uncomfortable, it's unsettling. They're in high repetition of learning interpersonal relationship, learning how to set boundaries with their friends, with their partners. They're having firsts left and right, first-time experiences left and right. And sometimes first-time experiences teach the lesson. And other times, it takes a second, third, fourth, fifth, or more experience for that lesson to land. And in the meantime, We're like trying to keep our shit together as we watch them step into pothole after pothole, make bad decision after bad decision. And it is understandable that we get to a point where we're like, enough, stop, right? Where we're flipped and we're judgmental and we're critical. It makes sense that that is calling us as we watch our sweet teens make the mistakes, right? And. All we have control over is how we respond. Ultimately, that's where we have influence, right? So, yeah. Okay. All paths do lead out of the forest, though. I'll tell you what. I am stoked to be able to talk about my experience with my oldest, who gives me permission to talk about it, and say, she is out of the dark forest. She found the path out. We walked it together. Sometimes they were parallel paths. Sometimes we had to deviate a little bit and she was definitely on her own, making her own choices about the forks in the road. And, you know, it took longer than I wanted for sure. But she did move out of the forest. Is she in a different forest? Sure. You know, as she navigates early, her early 20s, she's 20, it's so weird. You know, there's more forest to be navigated, but that dark, dense what felt like, oh my God, a cage, that forest, she's moved out of, she's moved out of it. So yours will too. So yeah, back to that person who's, you know, super Zen and not letting what's happening with their kiddo affect what's happening with them. You know who I'm talking about. When the early years, it's the parent at the park who has a child that's falling apart and they calmly rub their back and seem to have no tension at all in their face or body. They have that smile that isn't for the watcher's benefit. It's some inner knowing that this is all a part of life and everyone's going to be fine. Again, as I waded through the early years of my daughter going to high school, I was learning to let go while still setting boundaries for her. I was so fearful and I questioned my every move. I was called into a new relationship with trust. It's a trust that's bigger and deeper and more profound than simply saying, I trust you, right? And let's just take a minute. I trust you is loaded. When we say that to our teenagers as they go out into the night, we're saying, I trust you not to do anything wrong and always make the right choice, right? I trust you not to make mistakes, which is crazy. They are literally wired for mistake-making. So this new relationship with trust requires me to acknowledge and hold space for my children to be on their journey and to believe that we're all going to be okay. While I did experience my teen and continue to experience my teens, trying on some risky behavior during the high school years, I did not expect everything to show up during her first year. They say that risk-taking is part of the teen brain development and... It develops faster than the risk assessment part. Not only that, it's not so much that they don't assess, like what might happen? They have this part of their brain which says, yeah, this could go wrong, but it probably won't, right? So that is happening in their brain wiring. This was clearly the case with my daughter. The high school environment proved to be incredibly discouraging to her, on levels that I had no idea of actually at the moment. And this sense of discouragement colored her decision-making. So trust has become, I trust that you're going to learn from your mistakes, right? Sounds simple. And it's actually really big and can feel really scary. But here's the thing. If our kids are going to learn from their mistakes, then they have to make them. Please point me towards the sand so I can stick my head in it, (laughs) right? I trust, so I'm going to caveat here. I trust that you're going to learn from your mistakes, right? So I talk to parents about this all the time. I talk to clients about this. And it's such a huge shift. I just recently got an email from a mom that I was, her and her husband were on a call with me. And I helped her reframe trust this way. Because if we hold it as I trust that you're not going to make mistakes, we're feeling hurt all the time. And disappointed. Because they're going to make mistakes. So what if we know the mistakes are going to happen? What if we hold that the mistake-making is going to happen? And instead of being hurt and disappointed, we use it. We use it to help our kids recognize and connect the dots around how those mistakes are leading them towards or away from what they want. This is what I write about. Our kids only learn from their mistakes when we stay out of the way. That means it isn't about disappointing us or how angry we are or what we're going to take away from them because they made the mistake. We get out of the way and we engage them in conversations about their choices in a way that allows them to connect the dots between what they want most and what they want now, right? It's so much more powerful than the control over punitive responses that we get when our kids are making mistakes, which sounds like, oh, you went to a party and got drunk and now you're grounded. Or you snuck out, I'm going to take your phone away. You know, And it feels like we're not doing anything if we, get, if we let go of those punitive responses. But here's what we are doing. We're shifting the dynamic so that instead of them being mad at us because we're so annoying and we don't get it and they feel disconnected to us, They don't feel safe enough to share what they're going through and why they're making these choices. We're shifting the room and instead we're looking at their choices. We're standing next to them and saying like, how was that? You know, what are you feeling now? What are you learning from this? And helping them process their choices in a way that is so much more expansive and useful and leads them towards that life skill development of critical thinking and self-reflection which gosh, man, there's a lot of adults who could use more skill in that for sure, for sure. I say, there might be another book about parenting teens in my future. Parenting with joyful courage means growing and expanding what we know to be true and being open to new ways of thinking when our past shows up on the train. So we might sometimes find that our past is a passenger keeping us on the train. I talked a little bit, I touched a little bit on this last chapter. Our life experiences influence how we behave, how we respond, and how we see the world. We've been conditioned by the messages, both spoken and unspoken, by the adults in our life as we grew up, and the siblings, and the friends, and the experiences. We learned to do what we needed to do to stay safe and connected. Remember that I mentioned the work of Alfred Adler, landing on the idea that human behavior is movement towards belonging and significance. From our earliest days, we're looking to connect and to know that we matter. And we're making sense of relationships and experiences that we have early in life. And it's important to note that we're making sense of those relationships and experiences with very limited life skills, like at age one, two, five, 10, right? In attachment science, it has been determined that babies develop trust in their caregivers and in themselves when their needs are met. When babies cry, and they're fed, or maybe they're not hungry, so the adult keeps searching, like, what else is going on? Oh, you got a wet diaper. You know, you're lonely. They learn to trust those around them will take care of them. Those responses help to shape baby's overall sense of trust and safety in their world, which continues to develop over time. And parents are always doing the best they can with the tools they have. So it's not parent shaming here, people. Sometimes... Well, our well-intentioned parents left us with the perception that we weren't good enough as we were, that we were needy or extra. In an effort to connect and have significance, we may have developed into overachievers or perfectionists while also carrying the weight of low self-worth, which is no bueno. Or perhaps those well-intentioned parents didn't want to see us struggle. Maybe they always came to the rescue. They wanted to make us feel good and safe, but their helicopter parenting resulted in us having deficient coping skills or perhaps entitlement and or perhaps a victim mentality. Looking through the lens of belonging, we may now feel connected and as though we matter only when others do things for us. We all carry beliefs and ideas about the world based on our experiences and not so much based on our experiences, but on our perception of our experiences, on how we made meaning Of our experiences. What kept us safe and connected as children turns into our default operating system in adulthood, can turn into our default operating system in adulthood. We all move through the world with the lens we developed in the first part of our lives, and sometimes this lens adds to the challenges we're having with our kids. The exciting news is we can expand our lens. We can expand it. We can shift it. We can grow it. We can broaden it. We can shift our perspective and interrupt the thoughts and beliefs that are keeping us stuck. They're old. They're limited. It just takes practice. And yeah, I'm going to help you with that with this book. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust.
1: My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist, and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, I don't want you to just try harder, and I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better.
0: The final passenger that shows up on the emotional freight train is a need for control. Control is a slippery thing, isn't it? We can shift from feeling like we have it handled to feeling like having it all handled is actually an illusion. Parenting is fertile ground for discovering and addressing control issues. Hello, my name is Casey. I have control issues. Don't get me wrong. Keeping the household together, managing the calendar, feeding the family Doing all the rest of the things that no one realizes I do takes skill. It takes organization, systems, routines, attention, and forethought. I have skills to pay the bills, people. Yes, yes, the controller mentality has its assets, for sure. There are positive aspects of being in control. But problems develop when I become inflexible. It sends the message to the people around me that they aren't good enough that they haven't done it right, and no one can do it as well as I can. This mentality invites power struggles. It can also be something that really breaks into our relationship with our kids. They decide they don't wanna help because why bother? Or they drag their feet or they become slow, distracted, or simply ignore us. Who wants to be criticized by a controlling mom? No one, no one has their hands up right now. Then of course we react to that behavior, we react to the power struggles, to the feet dragging, to the selective listening, often without recognizing that it's actually our rigidity that is the main source of the problem and not our children. Okay, I want to tell you a story that happened yesterday about control. And it's, you know, it's bigger than control for me. I like having an agenda <laughs> that everyone signed off on. I like having a plan that I can depend on. It's probably a safety thing for me. And so it shows up in the funniest places. Like we are totally redoing the landscape in our backyard. It's a small backyard, but it's a big job. And we are on phase two yesterday and the day before we're phase two. And we needed to rent equipment. My husband had to go get a sod cutter. And so, you know, we have this plan. We know what we're gonna get done. We know what phase two is all about. He gets the sod cutter. And he cuts the sod in the backyard. He does what we talked about doing. Then he's so excited that he has the sod cutter that he goes into the side yard, which is not phase two, but he tears up all the sod in the side yard. I'm like, oh my God, what's happening right now? So then we start doing the work in the backyard and we realize there's another machine that's actually gonna be more helpful than us, you know, using a shovel and digging the dirt by hand because we're leveling things out, blah, blah, blah. And we're doing it all ourselves with our amazing friend who came to help us. So then they go get another machine called a dingo, which I don't know about you, but anytime I hear the word dingo, I immediately think the dingo stole my baby because it's hilarious. So I had to say it out loud on the pod. So he has the dingo, which is like an earth mover, right? So it helps us flatten out, and create the space for the patio we're going to put in. But of course he's also like, got the machine now, going to totally use it in the side yard. So anyway. The side yard becomes a part of phase two, which we never talked about. I'm not ready for it. And I went to him and I said, I'm feeling really stressed about what you're doing in the side yard because I don't have the plan. I don't understand the vision, you know, which to which he got really defensive, blah, blah, blah. But I kept saying like, no, this isn't about like, I understand why you did it. It's just hard for me to hold that we're deviating from the plan, right? So yes, that sense of control shows up in so many places and I managed it, I navigated it, it didn't get ugly, but man, yeah, freight train in idle in the train station yesterday, absolutely, absolutely. So there you go, side yard drama. Here's what I heard from the Joyful Courage community. Mama Lauren says, a few months ago, I flipped my lid when my six-year-old daughter wouldn't let me brush her hair in the morning, in the moment, It felt very important that she not leave the house with her hair a mess. I shamed her, blamed her, and ultimately forced her to let me brush her hair. Not my best moment. I love that this is Lauren talking about her six-year-old. Now, project 10 years into the future, and you've got a 16-year-old, and you don't like the clothes that she's wearing, and you have all sorts of storylines that are going to play out because she's got on short shorts and a crop top, (laughs) right? Anybody relating to that? I know that you are. Right? We get into these triggered moments and we don't show up great for our kids and we send all sorts of messages. Another mom shares, My daughter is intelligent and her handwriting is often illegible, which drives me crazy. Part of me has this need to control how she presents her work so that her intelligence is seen, but it stems from my childhood issues as well. She had an assignment in second grade, which I made her do over again. The teacher emailed me that I didn't need to put pressure on her regarding her handwriting at such a young age, the concepts were more important than the writing. I will still need to work on that piece. Okay. Funny story. Side note from me. Recently, and I shared this with my membership community. Recently, Ian had done an assignment for Spanish class and it was late and he was catching up and he showed it to me. He was like, look, done, did it. And all I could see were the places where he crossed things out and, you know, judging his handwriting. I said, okay, so you're going to rewrite that before you turn it in, right? And he was like, no, I'm not. I'm done. And I was, you know, not in my best moment. And I was like, well, here's what I think. You know, your teacher wants to be able to read what you're writing. You know, your teacher wants you to see that you've taken pride. And he was like, no, she doesn't. That's not what's happening here. Anyway, he turns in the paper and he gets full credit. So there you go happens in second grade, happens in 11th grade. So what next, right? We have these experiences. What next? We don't have much perspective when we're on the emotional freight train. It exists. Perspective is there for us. We just don't have access it when our brain is fully flipped and we're in that freeze, fight, flight, survival mode. The emotional freight train is all about us, We are the star of the show in the moment. We are the ones with needs, right? Everyone else is to blame when we're on the train. To parent with joyful courage, to use those opportunities to grow into an ever more evolved, present, connected human being, it's important to explore the landscape of where you are. Okay, we're going to talk about that. Remember, joyful courage is parenting on purpose. And parenting on purpose can only happen when we expand our awareness of what is happening in the present moment. Yeah, there you go. The passengers on the emotional freight train. I would also add, I made note of this, sensory issues. You know what's so funny? I tend to have the emotional freight train come up when I'm driving in a new city and I'm not sure where I'm going and the music's too loud. Like that's enough to create the physical experience of stress and anxiety. You know, sometimes it's physical clutter, right? When there's a lot of physical clutter, that can prompt us into some really choice, (laughs) non-thoughtful, non-conscious behavior. And then the internal too, like when we've got a lot going on, I am a crazy person when I'm getting ready for a trip and my kids know this. I don't know if I mentioned this in the book, But going to the airport, if we're traveling as a family, I'm already at a certain level. Like the train is just waiting. It's like I said, idling in the station. You know, and that idle is really that underlying current of stress and anxiety. And, you know, to my credit, I have let my family know, you guys, you know, I'm a little on edge when we travel together. And I'm gonna really work hard not to take that out on you. And what I need is just some grace and just know that, When I'm quiet, I'm just really doing my work. So we get to know ourselves ever better and we get to invite our family to also recognize and see that we're working hard. And it's not their responsibility to support in that. It's just, you know, it's just important. And we get to model, right? We get to model what it looks like to be a healthy adult and to recognize our own needs And, you know, that comes down to self-regulation, what it looks like. Even the adults are struggling with that. So all of this is really out in the open, right? I think it's so important, like I mentioned before, that we're having these conversations that it's hard. It's hard to maintain control. It's hard to be a conscious parent. It's hard to practice positive discipline. And the reason that it's hard exists inside of us. It's not because the doing And the tools and the practices are the hard part. The hard part is recognizing what is getting in the way of choosing something different, of choosing to self-regulate, of choosing to do the work of dismantling the conditioning that has created the lens, the limited lens that we see the world out of. That's the hard part, but man, the rewards at the end are good. The rewards at the end are good. So there you go. Chapter three, chapter three. So you might've noticed if you've been listening the whole time. So I started off thinking I was gonna read the chapter and then discuss. But as I've, now that I'm done with chapter three, I'm recognizing I gotta stop in the middle and add my commentary. So that's what's happening. You're getting like the expanded audiobook of Joyful Courage because yeah, I'm just seeing places where I have more to say. So that's that's how I'm going to roll for this next part. And we're actually in part two. So next week, part two will be the beginning of how to get off the emotional freight train. Yay, I'll see you there. Hey, download the guide, right? Because there's lots of prompts and questions to help you continue to expand into this work. So download the guide. You'll find it in the show notes. Um, And let me know how things are going. All right, friend. See you next week. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to my Sproutable partners as well as Chris Mann and the team at Podshaper for all the support with getting this show out there. Don't forget, get your free companion guide to this series created to expand your learning and your own copy of the book by going to besproutable.com slash jcbook. I'm so appreciating you and I'm here to support you and your journey of parenting tweens and teens. Find me on social media or shoot me an email at casey at joyfulcourage.com to discover how we can work together. Tune back in on Monday for a brand new interview And I'll be back with another solo show next Thursday.
1: Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better.